Just make it two episodes and, and run it raw. We haven't said anything offensive. I know <laughs> that. We never do. Yet. It's just that we <laughs> could Give have two one. episodes. Why? There's no reason the to. The people want it. He, he only said the intro once. Thank you. That is exactly Welcome right. to a perfectly acceptable <laughs> podcast, episode number 155, part two, where we will talk about some other comics and also Hootie and the Blowfish. We hope you'll stick around. If you need a better <laughs> intro, listen to the previous episode. It's part one. do that again <laughs> and then re-rank them but i do want to hear about legion of superheroes very much from my wonderful best buddies that i'm sitting in a room with what did you think ro my man well what did brayden think yeah, my man what, what did brayden think Brayden, um, my man i was pretty confused the first few pages because it's you know big sci-fi car chase scene where i don't know what's a car what's a person what's a building and what, what's, what's going on and what's a it's a trident, um, <laughs> so that that was um, a little jarring. But once we get to Superboy, kind of uh, getting thrown into the mix and figuring out what's going on, what happened to Earth, I don't even know what year it is, but like it was kind of fun. I think it Ben just kind of trips on his overcommitment to realistic dialogue. Um, <laughs> Dude, Brayden, I think that is the most generous <laughs> and accurate way of describing Bendis. I was thinking about it today because Trevor was talking to me about it and his frustrations with it. Yeah, Trevor has been openly frustrated with Bendis since day one. Yeah, it's like I appreciate what you're trying to do, man, but it just gets confusing sometimes. I think overcommitment to realistic dialogue is maybe the best way to describe him. I think that's a great soundbite. He's yeah. like the... the anti-Kevin Smith or the like the opposite of Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I think he's pretty close to Kevin Smith, actually. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was fun. I don't really know anything about the Legion of Superheroes. Um, I, I dig that the Earth has been destroyed and brought back in kind of these weird, like, satellites um i thought that was really cool yeah and there's like a planet gotham that's like <clears throat> separate from that oh. too and like there's just cool ideas like that that i think are fun but i didn't know any of these characters really and well none of us really do is there's that... so many of them it, except yeah. for maybe roman roman might is this world how it's been presented in the past it, these sort of nope. satellite colonies okay. outside. As far of as I core. remember, in Legion of Superheroes in the various incarnations before, it's always been Earth still been like one whole Earth. Because I'm super this into really cool. this visualization. That was pretty cool. It. And there was some really interesting mythology. Like they find uh, spoilers, Aquaman's trident, and they're talking about like how the ocean's not there anymore, but the ocean's still kind of there oh. as this like mythological figure like place. So there's and, some interesting stuff going on there. And that feels kind of rooted in the Jack Kirby Commandi Superman's mm. cape as a yeah. legacy item. Yeah. So and in fact, and one of the, yeah. I'm sorry, one, Go of, ahead. one of the characters mentions, because somebody's talking about the oceans of Earth, and one of the characters who's not from Earth asks, Oceans of what? Because they're so unfamiliar with the idea of Earth as being one sphere. Some of them don't have like, no idea. Like, like oceans, oceans of, of gas, shit? oceans of shit. Yeah, what is oh. it? They don't uh, even know. I mean, probably not shit. I sure hope probably not. they don't shit in the future. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they, they, they don't talk the about the legionnaire that's from that world. <laughs> <laughs> Just teleported into the ocean. Ro, did you shit. recognize every single character in this book? Right not not every single one. I mean, most of them. Yeah, I know. But you'd score pretty high on the test. Yeah, like this guy in the beginning, which I had to reread because I was like, wait, I, who's this guy at the cape? And then the cape gets shredded, which I didn't realize. That's I don't know what they're going to call him in this, but that's Ultra Boy. Joe Nah. I feel like the Legion wow. would be a step up Bro, if they had Joe, better yeah, names. Joe. Like Ultra Boy. So are Superboy like... and Ultra Boy going to get into some kind of well, uh, Ultra Boy's competition here? Deal yeah, is they're both going to go after Saturn Girl. And Mega Boy. <laughs> Probably. Ultra Boy's deal Omni is... Omni Boy he... will win. <laughs> he kind of is Omni Boy, yeah. I mean, his deal is that he has a bunch of superpowers, but he can only use one superpower at a time. So sometimes you see him fly. Sometimes you see him do the okay, super okay. speed thing. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know Sidebar. how it works. <laughs> Roman, God. how do you know all these characters? And how in the original Legion run, did they actually all have enough time written in them to be characters that are developed in a way? Oh, like, yeah, because Legion of Superheroes has been around since the mid-50s. 
So like Saturn Girl and Lightning Lab, they were all introduced back then, and then they've added to them over the years. So. I just want to take a moment to everyone. Jonathan Hickman was going to do a Legion of Superheroes story at DC. We got fucked. And did House and Powers of X instead. We got oh. fucked in a good way. Yeah, I'm just going to, like, I would, I am very happy with Hickman writing <laughs> X-Men stuff than trying to actually learn and care about all these Legion characters. I wonder if Hickman wouldn't have done it in a more interesting way, though. Like, hmm. I just don't know don't if know. the characters have it. I mean, they surely do, but I, I have it, a vested interest in X-Men. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, like, Speedball is in the X-Men. Yeah, what? he started Civil War, man. And Gold Balls. And Gold Balls Gold is amazing. Balls I mean, is his name Egg now? Is that what it's Oh, yeah, yeah I think it's his name. Egg, yeah. Anyway, sorry, we can't was talk about X-Men anymore. <laughs> Legion of Superheroes, <laughs> I'll stop interrupting. Um, can I tell you my problem with this whole Bendis yeah. Yeah, Legion us. of Superheroes what's your thing? problem? Here's IDC. my problem. I, wait, you don't care? Or you like you DC? You don't care. It's not even that. Like, I would like to care. I've read... Pretty much every issue that's led up to this, including those two with Rose and Thorn, mm -hmm. all of the Supergirl and the Superman and like all, all the little things that led up to John being this old and John being asked to be in and then being in the Legion of Superheroes. And I just want to not watch 30 seconds of John at some point because we've seen every moment that's happened between when he got back from his adventure, even even then backwards in flashbacks, it just seems like like Bendis has decompressed this to the point of ridiculousness. I, I see what you're like saying. Like we're reading like, a comic in real time almost. I could hmm. I could deal you know, I get that idea of I could deal with a time jump for John. I don't need yeah. to see today for John. Like, yeah. He can go eat a meal without me watching him. Yeah. 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 If superheroes pooped we would have watched him dink around on John. his phone while he pooped. Yeah. And Bennis would have written some overly <laughs> accurate dialogue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, it just feels like we're we're spending too much time doing this adventure with John. And you're losing me, Bendis. Yeah. I, yeah. Also, I don't care about this many characters. Cut it in half, and I would still have a hard time... <laughs> tracking it and caring about it see i love the legion but yeah i agree with what you're saying oh Braden's saying because it's it's like they mentioned so many times in this oh didn't anybody have superboy watch the uh the the orientation presentation we prepared for him yeah fuck you they i mentioned need it, that they mentioned i, it so, I kept yeah. i kept mentioning it I'm like can i can i watch yeah they mentioned that on youtube <laughs> yeah they mentioned so many Bendis times but also like well, i though. know we're not going to see it because I know Bendis will never answer our question in the first issue that asks it. That's right. classic Bendis <clears throat> humor, though. But Let's it, tie everything back to this one ongoing mm, joke thing. Yeah, but it's so annoying because it's like, okay, we'll just find, just have them watch the damn thing. They're going to watch it at the end of the arc, and it's going to save them from <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm intrigued <gasps> by, like, who, who is ad. this Yellow Lantern version, and who is this Dr. Fate-looking one, and... So I do want to find all that out. My yeah. answer is I don't give a fuck. See, I want to find Whoa. out that stuff. I D G A F I D C. Though I didn't understand the last two panels because the character is telling the like the big bad what's going on. Well, that's the president in, of the United Planets. Is it? I don't even know. I guess it is United Planets Homeworld. But the character, the yeah, underling is telling telling this person. Right in the middle of the sentence, it cuts off and says "to be continued." And it's like it's a complete what? affront to everything yeah. we've been to be continued. Bendis like does a <laughs> yeah, like, like a half you. step Come in between on. issues. Like yeah, yeah. the yeah. Bendis half step. <laughs> like I have no idea what they're leading into with that. <laughs> everything we've been, everything we've been. <laughs> yeah, that ticked me off. Yeah, I read that and I just closed it and read the next comic. It's like I, <laughs> I, I don't even know if I've given up because it, like for all of. All of the irritation that I feel when I'm reading this Legion shit, I enjoy reading it. I'm just yeah. completely lost and don't care who lives and who dies. If there's a character in here who turns out to be a traitor, it's going to have zero impact yeah. on me. <laughs> I call that the Bendis effect, which is sort of – he has a way of making me never mind reading his writing – the big thing I have with this is that I, like Undiscovered Country, I just wish I cared more. I don't necessarily care a ton. I've never been mad that I was watching an episode of Monk. Yeah. <laughs> There's not enough small moments at all with, like, these characters that, like, I could care about any one or two of them. Like... And there's a lot of them I need yeah. to care about. I like Bendis a lot, but I also don't have any problem not reading things sometimes. So I didn't read this, but um, I do want to read it. 
it makes so much sense to me as like a challenge to Bendis. You know, I could feel him feeling mm. like this is a challenge he wants to do. Like I wrote the mm. whole Avengers, I wrote new Avengers, I've written this stuff. What about this cast of 30 characters? It feels a little bit sort of like him testing his metal. And I, and that's been an element of his DC stuff and I've really enjoyed that you so far. You better fucking hurry and pay off. But I don't know me. if I care a ton about these characters. I wish I did. I want to know what my man Roe gives it. Hey, Roe, my, my man Stott, what is it? Oh, man. Um, Roe, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh. That's right. Roe, uh, man. My man, Thing <laughs> Stott. Um, you know, I, I, you, you know, I give the Legion. I, I love watch the, you make noises. I love the Legion. I give the, I give the Legion like a... a I love them. I don't know. My man loves the Legion. But, but what does he but think this about comic Bendis? So far, he ah. hates Bendis. I don't hate Bendis. I, I think Trevor hates Bendis more than I do. The art's pretty fine, though. Like, yeah, I like. I really like the art. Sure, plus one. Um, I think I give the book. Oh boy, a six. I mean, I want to give it more because I love the Legion, but I can't. Yeah. I think I go a six and a half because, despite me not really caring about anyone, it kind of. It's got it's what my appetite like. I want to know more about okay all thirty of these wacky characters. That's that's a that's an endorsement. I mean, I haven't I'm, read it yet, so I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what like Legion fandom thinks of this because I mean, Legion fandom is huge. I think they'll take anything. At this point. You could say they're Legion. I don't know that Legion fandom is huge. When was the last time we got a Legion book? How many subs are on their subreddit? Mark Wade's run. You know how many subs we have for this book before it came out? Oh. Like. Every single Legion fan wow. in the country wouldn't fit in our store. Probably. That's pretty big. <laughs> for years, the biggest fan magazine for for in comicdom was the Legion Outpost, which was a Legion fan. He's so full of shit. I believe him because <laughs> I love him. I choose to believe him, but I know that's bullshit. That's a choice. We, Paul, uh, we have so many of those rings. Paul Levitt got no his start writing comics when writing Legion when he was 13 years old. Yeah. So, Django, so Legion was it? created by a 13-year-old. I give it a 10. No, no, it was created in the 50s. <laughs> Django, I almost just gooey-ducked for you, but then I realized you've never given something a 10. I, I give it a 5. Have, have you given have anything, you a, never 10 given anything a 10 I've given shit a 10. Well, Andrew, back to yeah, Andrew, Andrew Carlson, com- fandom, friend yeah. of the show. We're talking about comics, If you shit. could please uh, corroborate whether Django has actually given something besides <laughs> Harley Quinn breaking glass a 10. <laughs> Oh, now there's caveats. (laughs) (laughs) Single issue. Harley Quinn breaking. Single issue ten. Do you know how close I was to making that my November December pick? Yeah, five. It's It's perfectly acceptable. The art's really good. For as irritated as I am with the dialogue, like I read the whole thing. You know, I can't believe I had the whole thing. (laughs) Art that is really good, but kind of inexplicably good is this Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble by Ooh. Mariko Tamaki, and the artist is Guri Hiru, who has done a lot of covers, did some Gwenpool art. Uh, yeah, Gwenpool and the Superman Smashes the Clan art. So while looking at that open book, I wanted to say, Braden, what did you think of Superman? I swear to God, I was wanted to just interrupt Roman and say, Braden, what did you think of Superman Smashes the Clan? I loved it. It was great. I just, Especially the art. Like I love seeing those classic characters in classic times with a kind of revamped style. I wonder if this book would be less impactful if you didn't know the Spider-Man theme from the animated series back in the whatever, 1920s. Same thing goes with Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number one. She also does her own version of that Of song. this same song? Yeah. It's um, not, it was, it was the, the 80s. Tell me why I liked this book, Brayden. Because it was so dang fun, and it's basically Spider-Man colon the sitcom, like, if Spider-Man was Jerry Seinfeld and <laughs> Venom was like Kramer. You just made that like... little bird statler almost spit out some whiskey. It's just crazy that like there's the IDW Marvel action What's Spider-Man the deal book, with this Mysterio? And I go, What's the deal with Mysterio? Um, and I thought it was it. Now it's over there. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but it's just that I didn't love those Marvel action ones. And there's something like the balance of fun to text to text size to art in here is it's all i think perfectly in play it's these two creators who are just like so good right now especially like Mariko tamaki is like doing 
great work. She did on Harley X-23. Quinn books. She did that Harley <laughs> Quinn Breaking Glass. Um, I think she just started like her own imprint with like some publisher, like not Scholastic, but maybe like a different one that's going to be like uh, young adult, like queer stories and stuff. Okay. Um, I think her humor and kind of uh, all agesness kind of shines through in this really well. And it works super well with uh, Guru Hero's art, which is just always, always super fun. And it still feels like unique from Gwenpool and from Superman Smashes the Clan. Just like the body types of the characters are have a very set style that they never really deviate from. And I love that it's uh, it's never Peter or Gwen right. or Eddie. It's always Spider-Man, even at home when they're having dinner together. It's Spider-Man and Ben. Yeah, how is Spider-Man going to eat with that mask on? But Exactly, and it doesn't matter. Comic Doesn't get to. <laughs> and I just love this dropped into this fictional scenario where those two are living together. Doesn't yeah. matter. Just put me there. I don't, you know, most Marvel stuff is like, well, the story of how they become, you know, roommates or, or something yeah. to that regard, they have to justify it. And there's no justification in here. No, they just are. It's like Spider-Man's like, yeah, I'm trying to help them show them how to yeah. be a better hero. And yeah. also, like, Venom is literally, like, the worst. He's like a nightmare roommate. Like, yeah. totally... Just oblivious and bad, but also like manipulative. Yeah. Like it's switching bodies with you. Yeah, that <laughs> it's great. It's great. What? Uh, what? So you guys liked it. Mm-hmm. You're like forty or fifty. <laughs> What's the lowest age range you would put this at? Six. Uh, yeah, I would say about six, as long as you know. It's just the one step above, like, you know, those board books, like yeah. learning to read stuff. So like, when you stop tearing books in half, you yeah. can have this. Really cute touch at the very end of this book um, when they switch bodies. Um, yeah. You can see the eyes on Venom and Spider-Man, like their costumes, like, change. So mm. Spider-Man gets oh, these, nice. like, Venom curls, and <laughs> Venom has, like, normal kind of eyes, uh-huh. Spider-style. It's it's cute. It's Not great. a valid complaint at all, but... Just having really read and enjoyed the Marvel team up, Ms. Marvel Spider Man story of them switching bodies mm. to then go into this one. I'm like, okay, this is cute and charming. And if I had read these a year apart, it wouldn't register in my mind that oh, I've yeah. just recently read a story of Superman or Spider Man switching Spider-Man bodies. Spider Man has switched bodies so many a lot. times. So it's, it's not a big deal. But this, as I was reading this, it made me excited to read this book and have another, like, immediately another book in the arsenal of a really solid book that you can give a child and their parents or, you know, role models will enjoy reading it as well, I think. That's super important as an adult who's read comics and books to kids. Yeah, you got to enjoy it. You bore it. me. It's, it's going to disappear. It's going to fall behind the bookshelf yeah. one day. Hmm. And I think that they did a really great job of, I think even like... DC Superhero Girls can even be, a, like, a little text-heavy for me at times. Like, if a thing is just supposed to be kind of lighthearted fun, when I was a kid, like, I was really just looking at pictures anyway. So to have more text bubbles as a little kid reading them just made me feel like I was missing out more. And you get plenty Super of story light. here, but, like, the the white and the black text bubbles really juxtapose who's saying it. And there's a sense of novelty with every panel. And it's and it looks like there's not more than a sentence in each bubble too it's perfect right? like, but, but it feels conversational and realistic the whole time like yeah. anyway i was really i was pretty pumped about it yeah it was great how um, many issues good five question. i think they're doing yeah. five yeah i think so um also one one weird thing they did like a couple variants for this book uh-huh. which totally great book. totally fine looking <laughs> variants but they're just very like Normal Venom style, like or you saw that. You, I didn't I even was... think about how that is super weird. But this is a book that I think caters towards younger readers. A younger reader isn't like yeah. I saved up all my allowance to get this twenty-five dollar Venom variant. It, it almost feels like you're trying to trick older yeah, like yeah. people into buying it. It's like yeah. it's so it's so weird. That jarring. didn't occur to me at all. But you're yeah, right. Yeah, when totally I right. saw those, the regular cover, I actually thought at first glance I thought that was the variant. Right. And it was a serious, like, Venom mm. comic book. Yeah, no, no. And this is the Scotty Young cover <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, the exactly. one in 50 is selling for way over the ratio price that you would expect. And it is gruesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, that stretched pretty hard to do 25. So yeah. <laughs> we yeah. didn't get that yeah. one. Also, yeah. Please buy this book. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Please do buy this book for sure. What, what do you guys give it? I give it a nine. Oh, wow. I would go an eight. Cool. I think it perfectly encapsulates what I find fun in comic books, like what I want 
out of a book. Segway. You know who would make great roommates? Daredevil and Kingpin. Oh, I was going to say, I thought you meant to a reader. I was like, I don't want to live with Kingpin, but those two living together? In a rabbit hole. Very cute. With Guru Hero art. Oh, adorable. <laughs> oh, adorable. Ro, my man thing, <laughs> shot. What did you think of Daredevil? Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Well, the weird thing is I'm finally watching season three of Daredevil, Oh, and man. it's very similar to the plot the plot of this current Daredevil comic. I heard comic. you say that today, and I yeah. kind of didn't love hearing that. Really? really? Only because I haven't watched season three of Daredevil, and I really liked the uniqueness of what this comic feels well, like Well, season three of Daredevil came out, what, a year ago? Two yeah. years ago? Yeah, it's a little I don't know. And, and, you know, this is current. But season three is really good, by the way. Is it all in the dark and in alleys and on roofs? Sometimes in a warehouse? Hmm... There's some warehouse stuff, yeah, yeah. There's. Uh... Oh, please, for the love of God, talk about this comic. <laughs> you should, you should okay. cut that part out, okay. probably. Well, okay. <laughs> what's great about this is the kingpin, he's mayor of New York. He's uh, last issue. He's having dinner with these like the powerful people. Yeah, the gov. I think it's I the think. governor and this powerful movers and shakers. These terrible like one percenters. I love Roman um, saying movers and shakers. I like it when he <laughs> says one percenters. Yeah, with contempt. But what's great Wumper. about this, he goes into, one of the guys keeps on making fun of the Kimping for being large, for being fat and all this stuff. And at the end of the issue, Kingpin uh, goes to the bathroom, and the and this guy comes in, and he's making fun of the Kingpin, going, oh, oh, did you break the toilet or anything? Mm. Kingpin loses it and kills the guy. He murders the fuck out of that murders guy. Murders the fuck out we of We talked guy. about it at the live shows. Yeah. 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 And and so this issue opens up, and the Kingpin's <clears throat> realizing, I've just ruined my oh, my, shucky my, my future, my <laughs> chances at a political career. At, oh, at boy, I did it again. Oh, whoops-a-donkey. <laughs> yeah, and what's cool is the Kingpin's, like calls Wesley, and he's like, for the first time ever, the campaign's like, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Wesley, have you ever seen Pulp Fiction? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he's been kind of an asshole to Wesley throughout yeah. this whole series, right? Like, I've been expecting Wesley to quit because Kingpin's been a dick to him. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and here, I mean, man, yeah, you got, you got Winston Wolf just stuck in my head now. Well, <laughs> Wesley Wolf. I, I yeah, really like yeah. the sort of just like Pulp Fiction pause of this because i've always loved that yeah so wesley so wesley gets in there and he figures out how to fix all this and clean it up and and get the kingpin or get fisk out of hot water here in in a pretty efficient and also very ruthless way yeah very it turns invisible and it like a shitty way like it sucks yeah okay it's it's really shitty and it's pretty amazing can we talk about what happened actually i want to get i want to figure this out so So, yeah please i believe the plan is they get one of the uh hired help one of the the custodial staff yeah one of the staff members who's definitely not american yeah he's mexican like he's a mexican dude very much. Fits in with the one with the one percenters. Yeah, they okay. get him to <laughs> clean up the scene and say like, uh, "Clean this up. If you don't do this, we'll kill your family and you." Blah blah blah. You know. Um, and I read that and I was like, "Duh, that's what Kingpin says." Yeah. Um, and so, but then the twist is that after he cleans <clears throat> it up, they kill him and make it look like he killed himself. So that matches up with the blood stuff in the. What's left, I guess, in the bathroom after he's cleaned up. And then they dispose of the other dude's body. They get rid of the body, and so he's out in the wind. Nobody knows what happened to him, because that would be a much bigger deal if they found his body. They just found an immigrant worker So I got all that, but what I thought was there was this extra layer where they had said something to the effect of the guy who actually died saw that and kind of left in a state of trauma. And then I thought they were going to put him in a car and crash his car and make Uh, it look like he died in a car accident. I'm sure that's that's pretty close to what's going to happen. Okay, I just didn't get any closure about that guy, so I didn't didn't know how to thread the needle. They didn't close... All the loops, I think, by the end okay. of it. Yeah. No, that'll be the next issue. But it was, it was. I thought it was a really subtle way to show just kind of power dynamics between everybody involved in this thing, from the rich people to their servant to Wilson, who's way more powerful than them, but in a powerless situation here, to Wesley, who's coming to Wilson's aid. Like, there's, there are just, there, there's, you could, you could draw a pentagram of all the connections of power that are being made just in this one scene. I'd prefer if it was a hexagram, but... Um, you don't get any Satan with a hexagram, Jeff. It's two equilateral triangles laid on top of each other. Satan! Um, three, six, six. six. I, I thought... <laughs> Dude. It was... <laughs> Dude. I really liked... Um, 
gosh, Chip is writing Wilson Fisk in a really complex way. Yeah. And he, he's this sort of repressed, violent, aggressive man. But then also, even in this issue, to see him, like, crying while <coughs> talking to Winston, is it? Yeah. Um, Winston Wolf. Wesley. Wesley. <laughs> um, is is crazy to me. Like, that's, you know, when was the last time we saw Wilson Fisk cry? Right. Like, that, that's, a, that's a layer to that character that is actually a pretty big step to take. And it yeah. makes him a more vulnerable person. And I think it's just a testament to Chip's writing that he's able to humanize Wilson in a way that isn't a thing that's really commonly this done is, but believable. This one's popping off on eBay because it's the first appearance of Wilson Fisk's tears. Django <laughs> is hanging out in a lot of Facebook groups with speculators. So he's always talking about first appearance, and it's disgusting. So Daredevil's in this issue, too. Oh, oh yeah, right. But yeah. I feel like they could have. Yeah. It would have been maybe more satisfying if they'd just done Kingpin and kind of closed some of those loops we just mentioned. But yeah, they check in with Daredevil. He's tra- Electra's training him because and it's lost it's his good. Edge. So there's some really good points she brings up about like she's like, "What's your goal?" And he's like, "To get better." And she's just like, "That's stupid. Like, you need to know what you're going to do to improve these things. And like, you can't just go in like." Half cocked like he's been doing this whole time. Um, yeah, it's some really interesting stuff. We when don't she, say half cocked po- around Roman anymore. <laughs> <laughs> when she points out, when she points out that you don't have any real goals because you're afraid you're going to fail at them, so you well, just have this stuff like, oh, I'll patrol the rooftops and stop. Crying. Yeah, I'll wait for yeah. Krem to show up and punch yeah. him. Yeah, so that was a so good bit. I think any, I think most people reading that can relate oh, yeah. that to their life in some way. Yep, that's like. That I related immediately to a book that I only read half of called Getting Things Done. <laughs> uh, and, and like what I what I juiced out of the first half or first sixth or whatever, whatever it was that I read was don't have a vague thing like have a goal. go find crime, have a thing like go talk to this specific person. Right. Mm-hmm. So like like you're, you're, you don't have this broad goal. It's it's action items that you can do checklists on. And it doesn't have to be the whole thing. Um, it can be as simple as sit down and open up your computer. Did that. Check your email. Did that. I really liked the way Electra appears like the Frank Miller Sienkiewicz era Electra. Just With like the hair. The hair and so the much costume. Hair. It, it, it feels like a more classic Electra. And she's a character I haven't read a ton of, but I really appreciate um, creating a sort of iconic. Electra character and then feeding back into that Im- you know like there's been several incarnations of her and I, I like kind of almost creating a standardized thing like with her with her star jammers headband and everything I like the hair- headband on Electra <laughs> and um I also I remember Braden were you on the <clears throat> podcast for like the first ep- issue or two of of Daredevil I'm not sure I, I, I think I feel maybe like not. in the first we talked like about maybe it, yeah. you were around but um I didn't foresee the story arc of the police officer going the way that it's going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember misidentifying how I thought that story arc was going to go early on. And I really like where it's at now. Yeah, it's been super interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it, this, this is taking everybody and turning them a lot more gray. It's almost like a, uh, like a Jason Aaron kind of thing where you're like, fuck Wilson Fist, Daredevil's rad, this cop's a dick. <laughs> And at this point, you're like, oh, Daredevil's kind of a chump. Wilson Fisk is a little sympathetic, and this cop is going from hardcore asshole to yeah, you're understandable, right. like, yeah. bummed out That didn't out occur dude. to me, but you're right. There is some, yeah. I would compare he, it to Jason Aaron ambiguity. Oh, the owl. He, even the owl oh. is interesting. Finally, after, what, 40 years? But I love him. <laughs> I've always wished mean, I mean, he was more than he is. Yeah, Daredevil I mean, number I mean, two is his first appearance. I mean, he's such, really? <laughs> he's so creepy and everything, but... But he, Get back to he's very can. interesting. And visually, I, the artist, too. I mean, I love this artist's interpretation. Yeah, of I'm trying to grow him back, Roman. I'm sorry I shaved my sideburns. <laughs> Marco Cicchetto <laughs> is is incredible. Yeah. Brayden, or sorry, Django, did you, like, I feel like you read this and you came back and you said, this is a sexy book. It's a good fucking comic. Did you describe it as a hot or sexy book? I don't know. I don't, right. I, I don't remember. That, I don't remember anything <laughs> I ever say, Jeff. I love the fact that... Ask Andrew. Electra's last panel, she, she's telling Matt, and then that's your homework. 
Just like, you know, you often hear in therapy yeah. and stuff, okay? I mean, wow. I was going to say, or, you and I hear that in therapy. Everyone else hears <laughs> yeah. that in school. Yeah, I was thinking like, high school. homework in therapy? Yeah. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Good homework, too. Though, you know, it's funny. It's funny. Our, our therapist, he never... I use the term homework. <clears throat> he never uses that term. Roman and I share a therapist. Andrew, I know you know that, friend of the show, but... Yeah. I mean... That's why you call him your your sheriffist, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of that, and I was like, that sounds too much like sharing a piss. Yeah. I, you guys are very fun to be on the other side of a table. <laughs> it's a race. We're like Superman and the Flash. Yeah. But Braden always wins. <laughs> and it's, it's just, I know, I was telling him earlier, um, I was going to make, we, we had some, dis, I almost, maybe I said a pun that he didn't say, I can't remember, but... Uh, he said something, and I was like, yeah, well, Django told me once about how he sent me a bunch of pictures of his drawings when he was young, and I was like, why did you stop drawing? And, and he said, well, I realized my brother was a better drawer, and I stopped. And that's how I am with puns and Dino and Braden. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just like a type of humor it's... I had to abandon entirely because I'm surrounded by giants. For me, it's like I think of a pun, and I'm really proud of it, and I say it. I'm like, fuck yeah, I beat Braden or Dino. And Braden <laughs> cast it off 30 seconds They go, ago. oh, yeah. I decided not to say that one. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I can't even fuck around with it a little bit. I just stay out of it entirely. Ro, Skeletons. my man, thing, shot. Yeah, I just, want, I just want to add a caveat. Oh, this, good, yeah. Season three of Daredevil, this is... The similarity is just that the Matt's trying to reestablish himself, get his confidence back, and... and his mojo. His yeah, get his mojo back. It's a very Austin Powers 2 thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> The end. Roman? Never I nod like that yeah, again. I was going to say, never do that thing with your neck that you just No, because I was trying me. to think of an Austin Powers line. I couldn't do it. File yeah, that away baby. With, yeah. File that away with your pig sound. Just never bring that into the light of day or oh, this room again. The pig sound will be back when you least expect it. I sure yeah. hope right. not. So you're saying this is a great catalyst between Daredevil Season 3 and Austin Powers? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hairy chest left and right. Um, I got to give this a nine. I'm going to give this one a nine also, mostly because I could have done without 90% of the Daredevil stuff, like like Brayden was mentioning. Um, and as much as I think Chiquetto deserves credit, I think Nolan Woodward, Woodard, Woodward, Woodard? The colorist? Who is it? Yeah, Nolan Woodard is the colorist. And hmm. I don't think that. I don't. I, th- I think it does a disservice to him to credit Chiquetto with You're how right. awesome this art is. You're because totally right. Woodard is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in in like the detail of the faces. And that's Chiquetto is really sketchy, know. and the the colors are kind of rounding this out, yeah, in especially a really nice way. yeah through a variety of scenes. Yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. a great great point. Especially the owl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember what I gave the last issue, but I think I like that one a little more. So I'm gonna go with an eight and a half on this one, just in case. You may, have, yeah. I wonder if you gave it a ten. Maybe. You can. Okay. Here's the thing. Now that Andrew can Carlson I, is on uh, on retainer, you can give it 0.5 less than the last one if you want. Yeah, yeah. So give this one uh, 0.5 <laughs> less than whatever I put on the last one. Thank you, Andrew, friend of the show. <clears throat> Andrew Carlson, friend of the show. I really, I really like that Django used the on retainer. That's, that's lawyer speak. Yeah. Daredevil's yeah. well, a lawyer. I'm Blathew Blurdock. I should know. <laughs> Here we are. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a nine. I just oh, such a good issue. I love this cover. We've never seen the kingpin with that look on his face before. Mm. Yeah, just that cover alone. Cutting the gag. Yeah, Jeff, do you have to be home at any point tonight? No, nah. my girlfriend is at my partner, my wonderful my wonderful housemate is at uh, Matthew M- Modine, Dave Matthews, McConaughey. Michael W. Smith. She's, all right, all right. Uh, I got a text Matthew. message about 20 minutes ago that she's at the intermission of a Michael W. Smith concert right now. Matthew so. W.K.? Who? My dad's name is Michael that, Smith. Isn't he a Christian rock dude? He's a Michael Christian musician. Hey, I knew that. For sure. <laughs> yeah, Nolan Woodard has done a fuckload of coloring. Um, a huge, huge body of work. Him and Bernstein are the ones that broke the Watergate story. Yeah, right? I feel like there's a few <laughs> colorists that... I mean, there's not a ton of colorists, but the ones that are out there like do a ton of work. Yeah, for sure. And I just that's not a name. Woodward and Bernstein, we all get it. Very good. There's a lot of colorists out there. Yeah, I just, this is a name I haven't recognized. They've done a lot of sort of lower tier things, but it, a lot of Marvel stuff. Okay. The reason I asked if you were uh, if, if you, my if, girlfriend if, is at a Christian <laughs> concert where, right where now? your girlfriend is right this yeah. minute um, is because we're we're creeping up on a couple hours of recording. Yeah. Um, we got a few issues left. Two. 
I got I got a thing that I would gladly bring up if we want to waste some time. I uh, and uh, I always got... talk about that when Django's on the podcast. There's always one moment where he goes like, <laughs> and maybe I'll, you can cut this out if you want. Twenty minute discussion. <laughs> well, I think it's a thing we've talked about before, but uh, I, I have a, anyway. Halftone dogs. Um, Mostly, we talked a lot about Immortal Hulk twenty five. I did twenty four and twenty five. We hadn't talked about this book on the podcast for quite a while. Yeah, and I really just wanted to hear Roman twenty six Immortal Hulk. Al Ewing, Joe Bennett. Uh, what if his name is Ewing? Ewing? I don't think they had an Ewing in Star Wars. That's, yeah, that's one of the really reject ships. Too much leave. drag. Yeah, yeah. Even in a void. Yeah. Colorist Paul yeah. Mounts. Um, <laughs> what? Where are you at with Immortal Hulk right now? I think people would love to know. There's a lot of people reading this book, and you're the biggest Hulk fan. Is one of your favorite characters. You really like this issue. I'm just. I would love to check in with you in this series. <clears throat> Man, I, I love this series. I love this issue. I love the fact that Bruce Banner has reached a point where he releases a video manifesto because he's just like, you know, I agree with my with the Hulk. Braden, Humani- you read this issue? Humanity needs I'm to so end. Behind. Humanity's going to end? You know who's in this issue? Namor? Yeah. yeah what? Namor, Namor shows up. Iron Man shows he's up in the whole dang I mean, thing. But as a yeah. secret undercover guy who yeah. reveals himself as a fry cook, I love that. He's Did a Johnny Storm burn off his chowder. beard and reveal his true identity? <laughs> no, <laughs> he's making clam chowder. Uh huh. Best yeah. clam chowder Gross. he's ever had. Yeah, cannibal. Yeah. Well, he's playing a little joke. He's not joke. a clam. <laughs> Clamable. Namor's got a sense of humor. He's playing a little trick there. I need to read this book. I just I saw Namor and I was like, bro, <laughs> Braden. What's he wearing in it? They'll never recognize me. I'm eating clams. Yeah, where does he take off his his hat? There we go. That, that right there. He takes off his hat. He's supposed a, to take off his shirt. A yeah, that's a, that's like that's a lot of clothes. That's like two, maybe three shirts. Too many. That's the joke. He's like, I'll put a bunch of clothes on. Oh gosh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just wearing shirts. I ruined. I've ruined your discussion, Roman. I, no, Rom, no, no, my no, man. Not at all. Not at all. Rosh, not all, baby. It's cool. It's cool. Oh God, it's Roe. I love Roe. <laughs> We've always been an excellent non-team. I'm not snapping. Because <laughs> they were in Tales to Astonish, right? Yeah. Namor and Hulk. Yeah. The, Submariner the, the, yeah. Hulk. the Defenders. Yeah. This was just a great issue. I mean, I mean, he's a, he meets with Bruce Banner, meets with Amadeus Cho, because Cho's confronting him about his him releasing this manifesto saying basically, you know, humanity's screwed. It needs to end. There's all these problems with humanity, you know, <clears throat> and Cho's fa- Bruce said that? Yeah, Hulk's He's been, like off the Hulk's rails. been acting it out, and and Bruce is agreeing. Did you say it with a big toothy grin? No, mm, no, not he's quite. Bruce Just very seriously, Bruce. and sometimes his eyes go green and angry, and you think he's going to Hulk out, but he doesn't. Okay, okay, but definitely the Hulk is running the show here nowadays. It seems. Okay. I got to read this. Yeah. Um, but did it feel like a good hop in point? Twenty four and twenty five is. Twenty four twenty five. Okay. Yeah. Um, twenty five was a big oversized one. There was like an issue yeah. of profit. Um, yeah. And then there seemed to be a pretty big jump between that and this one. But my question is that this issue creates a big bad in the form of Dario Auger. <laughs> Hootie! Hootie! <laughs> what? Hootie. What's happening? Man, I don't know. I was All my brain is thinking is like, I was going to use that bit as the intro earlier, but now I want it to pay off into this, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. Um, in Jason Aaron's Thor run, in the fourth paperback, it's the last days of Midgard arc, and it's Galactus, the end of time, coming to consume Earth. And at that same time, it's interspliced spliced by, um, I forget that awesome S.H.I.E.L.D. lady's name. who's Maria Hill? Marie, no. Oh, uh, Abigail Brand? No, uh, she's sword. Somebody else. Um, but uh, she's a total badass that's in a lot of the Jason Aaron Thor run. And she is fighting Dario Auger, who is the red... Hootie! Who's the Minotaur. Who is, who is the leader of Roxxon uh, Energy Corporation, yeah. who is also a Minotaur. Is that right. a thing that Jason Aaron created in that run? Or how long has Roxxon been around... And how long has the leader of that organization been a Minotaur? Because the first time I had read it was in the Jason Aaron run. He showed up Ro- like when Thor lost his arm, right? Like he was stealing something from a. He's thing? been in, yeah, he's yeah. been in the Jason Aaron stuff for a while. So I I'm think, curious. I think Jason Aaron introduced uh, okay Dario. So Argar. not a. But <clears throat> Roxanne's been around since <laughs> sometime in the sometime in the 70s. I remember Roxanne being Tony Stark used to have to deal with them all the time in the 70s in cool. Iron Man. Yeah, they've been around Let's forever. Yeah. Roxanne yeah. rocks off. First appearance yeah. was uh good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So we've eaten up all of the time that I put aside for you to have that 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 conversation. So what'd you give Immortal Hulk twenty six? Uh, I would give Immortal Hulk twenty six. Um nine point five. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I that's, noticed that's, that's what a nine point five is on the scale. So. I noticed that that book has a letters page, and most Marvel books don't have letters pages. Not anymore, right? yeah. This one does. Do you think that that's because it's generating a larger conversation beyond like the smash em up superhero stuff, or do you think that do you think there's something else at play there? Because they got rid of letters pages ages ago. That's an interesting question. Um, Dino said yesterday that he's pretty excited because a book that he is reading that he wrote a letters page to is printing letters pages. I think it's less common. It is still a thing that exists in a lot of books. Yeah, I see it, particularly Marvel. Like yeah, and Image. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I do also think that it's generating a lot of conversation. It's certainly yeah, yeah. so. Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, um, he proffered that maybe Al Ewing is writing an <clears throat> X Men book, and my thought was that he's not going to be able to leave this book because I feel like this book was going to originally be shorter. Yeah. And based on the popularity and the incredible like speculator relationship to this book, I think that it's been extended. It felt like a 12 issue book that was supposed to end at like 24, 25. And then now it's just ongoing. And even reading this issue, I was sort of thinking like, this feels like we've been expanding the story beyond what it originally meant to be. Yeah. And, and you mentioning the fact Bruce here mentions a couple of times things going on with Krakoa. And that kind of ties into what Bruce Hulk wants to do is is end humanity as it is. So I think he sees Krakoa as, well, you know, that could maybe coincide with what I want to do. Like my own island. Is, mm. is there a point? So that this started as kind of a small story about Bruce dealing with his trauma and, and, and finding finding other people in similar situations. And now it's expanded to the Hulk eventually destroying the entire universe. Right. Is there a point where you think that it would go off the rails and become too large or too, like, too, too silly? I was thinking that while I was reading this issue and I was trying to think of, I think that we're almost, the scenario I drew, drum up, drummed up while reading this in my head is like Hawkeye shooting uh, a arrow at Hulk to give him a drug that just pacifies him. Kind of mm -hmm. like that Twilight Zone episode where the kid just watches TV. Because at this point, we can't kill him because he becomes the Hulk. But we need him pacified, or we need to basically re-planet Hulk him. Right. <laughs> and I like I like being in that spot. I like that Al Ewing has placed us in this spot of, like, we have to do something about the Hulk. Because like he's going to break the Marvel Universe. Yeah, this run has created, mm. you know, the necessity that we have to do something about it. That'd him. be a great OGN. Hulk smashes the Marvel Universe. Oh. <laughs> okay. Did we say everything we need to do about that? Can we bring this thing home? I don't I know really what like I'm going to cut Ross. out of this. So what was the thing you wanted to do earlier? <clears throat> I think we talked about this another time, but Svengooli. Just, just <laughs> I fucking hate this guy. Borwin. Oh, Django or Svengooli? Svengooli. Okay. Oh, your face. Uh, okay. Borwin. <clears throat> so I think we talked about at some point, maybe, maybe uh, ACFOTS can uh, tell us which episode it was in. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> So my, my question is, if superheroes were real, would we have different fiction? Did um, we talk about that on the podcast? At I some just point? want to talk about who's going to win in a fight, Thor or Hulk. And are Batman and <laughs> Superman ever going to okay, touch wait, dicks? Okay, wait, 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 wait. So <laughs> your yes question yes. is, if superheroes really exist, would we still have superhero comic books? Yeah, or, 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 or would, would, they be would, our, would our balance of fiction be, or pop culture be different? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we'd have comic books about like you know Joe the Checker at Safeway. Yeah, to me that that <laughs> you know drums up the question of what role does fiction play in society, mm -hmm. and it probably means something different to everybody. But you know, it it is the attempt to access something inaccessible or something unfelt or a lesson to share or teach. And I think. Um, you know, a lot of that would still be the same if there were superheroes, but there's also, um, you know, there probably would be fewer superhero comic books because we'd have the newspaper. They'd be, yeah, they'd be uh, more I, like documentaries. I think, so yeah, comics would 
comic books blew up <clears throat> kind of with, with superheroes. And mm-hmm. I think if superheroes existed, we'd maybe have more of like that horror stuff that was coming out early yeah. on and some right. like yeah. different and comics. Horror, romance, and war stories yeah. were comic books before superheroes. So I talked to Dan at the Red Light the other night about this, and um, we argued about it for quite a while. I think that my origin, my initial wording didn't quite click with him, but he was saying like um, <clears throat> Ryan, who's who's the guy from the the Tom Clancy stories, Jack Jack Splinter Ryan, Zion. Jack Ryan, Indiana Jones, those Splinter guys do Zion. superhero <laughs> shit all the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they dodge all these bullets, they jump over over alleys onto other roofs, they they do all this stuff that normal people can't do, but they're presented as regular people. And what I kind of settled on after talking to him was that if superheroes were real, you and I would be pretty jealous of them, right? Like, gosh, I wish I could fly. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And the human mutant paradigm in X-Men. Right. And I think that a lot of our fiction would become regular people doing awesome things without their powers. Yeah, I think think that's a a pretty realistic idea of how... I think that would be a big portion of story market, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that we talked about was how, um, like, in the 50s, the cowboy genre was a big thing. And at this point, we're lucky to get one good Western movie in a year, right? Mm-hmm. And in, like, the the 60s, we had a different genre that took over. In the 70s, we had another genre. In the 80s, we are like, all horror and and shit like that. So just having superheroes around all the time could make our fiction totally different. Well, you know, it makes me think that... That's what I said. Dan didn't think it would change much at all. And then he brought up Lizzo because he The interesting thing to me is that... She's a superhero. Yeah. I grew up hearing... So my dad was born a long time ago, and he was he grew up in a house that was very into science fiction stuff. And then it was also into superhero stuff. And I think that fiction, our relationship to fiction oftentimes is a representation of where we are as a society, trying to tell stories about the farthest reaches of what, what we can imagine. So I think in the fifties, you know, um, science fiction and fantasy and things like Western ideas to tell those stories were a big departure from where they were at the time. I think that superheroes act as a catalyst to allow people to reach further because Mm -hmm. it is basically, you know, before necessarily the strict idea of the superhero, which the earliest story is Gilgamesh. And and, and there's a lot of arguments to say that Gilgamesh was even a superhero. Right. Um, But to say, superheroes are basically the perfect X variable that allow you to tell any story you want, like to go very far. Um, And before that was a really common currency, which again, the argument is that maybe it's always been a currency, but the idea that, you know, I want to tell a story that's about life very different than life now. So you can say, go to the Western or go to the sci-fi world. And, And I think superhero exists as a mechanism that allows people to get even further away from the mundane life because you can create whatever superpower you want or something. So I almost, and then, and then it makes me think that superhero is tying morality to that mechanism and that morality doesn't necessarily need to be there. So then the the super being aspect, because again, I guess my brain comes back to, I think that people are really just trying to tell stories that reach really far away from that which is common to them. But That's then the give them really a touchstone. Like. But then then that makes me think, Brayden, I love thinking about comics and even in just reading BB Free. That's not necessarily the immediate genre that I latch onto, but there's a huge number of people that really like reading stories that are way more rooted in the exact opposite of that, which is the positive identification of dealing with that, the very everyday life that isn't far away. Like, I really liked BB Free, and I, I thought that, like, Sam might really enjoy reading that because Sam doesn't have a super easy relationship with her dad. So it's this very direct comparison that's immediate. And whereas superheroes do kind of the antithesis of, uh, of going very far away. Right. And even when we're dealing with superheroes, or I, I, guess, I guess I should take the word hero out of there, like super-powered right. characters. Okay. Um, 
even when we're talking about them, there's always some sort of very human touchstone. So we're learning stories about them, but Superman's got a mom, and he's got an adopted mom and an adopted dad. So, like, we're still connected to these wildly powerful beings, right? Like, it's it's hard to find a super-powered character that doesn't have human things that we can relate to. And I don't know how much of that is just storytelling. You know, it's kind of hard to understand what the sentry's thinking at any given moment because he's just so ridiculously powerful. Um, and then the then the conversation kind of becomes, how is he different than us? But it's still related to us. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that fiction is is a really interesting blend of that which is foreign to us and using that as a way of relating that which is immediately related to us. And we've had like other, like Roman and Greek heroes Right, like Hercules is my man. Ro, my man's got those stories. Yeah, but got those twelve labors locked down. What 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 do you guys think related to this sort of train of thinking or, um, like there's there's always like going to be fiction being created to entertain, and I think depending on what's going on in the world, like what you know, a massive audience would consider entertaining kind of ebbs and flows. Um, That's a really good Whether point. or not there are superheroes. Um, Western superheroes, space, horror. Yeah. Kinda, it kind of vacillates. Yeah, and it's I think it's all got to be relatable, and at least to some degree, mm-hmm. uh, to the reader. Yeah. Um, or have characters that are. Uh, and Braden and I have a common friend who, whose name is Daniel, friend of the show. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, he's always very open about in, uh, talking about enjoying fiction because of um, because of its escapism. Mm-hmm. And through talking to him, it sort of made me realize what role escapism have had. And 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 it's the kind of thing that I think maybe my immediate response to the idea of escapism was almost like, well, what am I trying to escape? Like that's not what I'm doing. Um, but I'm I trying do, to escape the comic shop by reading comics. But I think if we look at the history of comics or the, even the history of fiction, like um, there's an awesome quote from Frank Quietly where he's talking about you know the statistics that showed that in periods of gosh I forget exactly how it is but in periods of financial success people more like there was a difference between the the popularity of Superman comics and Batman comics based on periods of economic influx and and exflux if that's the word and ebb it's and that flow, bro. ebb and flow. Um, and it's that idea of in times of boom, I think people were more into Batman, but in times of bust, bust, thank you, they were more into Superman. And it's that you look for that, which kind of creates a disparity between mm-hmm. you in a way to connect to it. You know, like you understand a thing by understanding the difference. That's sort of like uh, parallax, visual parallax, yeah. you know, depth. Um what made me think of all this was Roman talking about Woodward and Bernstein and Deep Throat, which I think is the kind of movie that would be more interesting to people if there were actual superheroes all over the place. Did you see that movie with... Um... Because they'd be... Sorry, Roman just looked at me funny. No, because I, I, Because they'd be more, more human uh, and, and less like, look at these things we're jealous of. Hmm. I mean, there's, there's some <laughs> negative views you could take too. Like if uh, if superheroes existed, would we even know about them? Like, is it would it be like a, a Watchmen like mm-hmm. super god boys? Okay. Like, could it just like totally blow up? And in that case, do we still want superhero narratives? Right, um, right, right. Maybe yeah. it's a, just a sort of aborted project at that point that feels like a failure. Project yeah. Superpowers by Warren Ellis. Yeah, and I wonder, like, you know, if Batman really existed, would we have, like, a Batman comic or a Batman movie that's kind of like the current Joker movie where it's exploring how this guy's totally fucked up? We yeah, be... I think <laughs> I think we would try to hold heroes a lot more accountable than the, yeah. co- the stories do. Um, but well, I'm glad we have two episodes to talk about this. Yeah, we sure as fuck used a second episode for it. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> if we don't talk about Batman number 82, City of Bane, by Tom King, Mikael Janin, um, and probably the same colorist that's done most of it, whose name I can't remember because I'm a farce. 
Um, Jordi Belair? Say fart. Is Jordi Belair doing? According to this, fuck yeah, <laughs> Jordi Belair uh, and Jordi Belair on colors. Uh, then we're just gonna have to go home. We have to talk about Batman '82, City of Bane, acetate cover. He lifted a planet. Two he men, <laughs> no shirts. <laughs> he lifted a manet. <laughs> to quote manet. Justin Cassatt. <laughs> Uh, Roman, what do you think of Batman? Oh, I haven't read it. God. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on my couch at home. You want to read this one? We can. We can just have like 15 minutes of dead air. It's a quick read. <laughs> just play the Jeopardy theme while I'm reading it. Uh, I've okay, got so mixed feelings about this one. Oh yeah. Is it the acetate cover? No, I like that. It's fine. I like that they didn't charge an extra buck for yeah, it. Acetate t- cover feels good. Yeah, you're right. They didn't. I like that they didn't. Also, Braden. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. <laughs> let's go home. The end. Um, let's do this one brief. Uh, Hot off the heels of a John Romita Jr. <laughs> JRJR extravaganza. A fun d- d- fest. Double, double run. Yeah. I'm, so, out. I'm out. I'm out of gas. It's my a long my feeling on this one is it was kind of tough um, because this issue picked up where the John Romita Jr. two issues uh, ended. And in reading this, my beginning feeling was like, oh, is this where we ended with that last arc? And it felt like I was missing something. And I think that it has something to do with the Batman and Catwoman miniseries that's going to be starting after this that Tom King is also writing. And just sort of the drastic changes to this series flow that the creation of that one uh, sort of of made. And... Uh, Django and I talked a lot about it on Wednesday, but I think that my ultimate feelings are that there was like a 10-issue arc that got condensed to two issues that John Romita Jr. did the art for. Theoretically. Yeah, like right? ish, you know, numbers-ish. There, there, was, there was 24 issues that got condensed to 12, yeah, I think. 15, and, and we're but, guessing that that was those issues. Yeah, it's just... And, and I only say that because I felt like I was robbed of a little bit of catharsis that I would have felt in getting to this moment where Batman and Catwoman are finally fighting Bane because my really like my feeling was like oh I I guess we're here and there was a narrative plot the last two issues had and explained a lot but visually I didn't feel like I got to here I didn't feel like the story brought me from the island that Batman and Catwoman were on to the moment of fighting Bane it feels like I lost about six issues worth of material of getting there and I don't, I don't blame Tom King for that. I don't blame John Romita Jr. for that. But it feels like something in editorial or something in the flow of the Year of the Villain stuff caused this book. Like, this follows up on the Gotham Girl and Gotham storyline of the first six issues. And it never felt like it actually properly paid deference to those issues in the way that it should have to make this feel like it resonated. Am I? Does that feel on mark with anybody, Braden? Have you been reading this? Like, what? What's the other read on it? I've been very spotty in keeping up with Batman. I think I, I think I read it was JRJR did two issues. Yeah, yeah. I think I read both of those. Maybe that's <laughs> the feeling of those JRJR issues. Is I don't really know what <clears throat> happened in them. He, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. He beat up. He beat up the whole Bat family somehow. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Bat Bat Dad did. Bat Dad um, did, kind of inexplicably. I I don't know. I still felt the gravitas of the fight with uh with Bane. Yeah. Um, I liked the, the the trickery deployed. Um, Batman cheated in that fight. Like he straight up lied and cheated to win. Yeah. It was awesome. It's great. That's and that's totally Batman. I feel like he's should be the smarter person in a situation like this. Um, apparently, Catwoman is though. Because don't tie morality <laughs> to strategy because sometimes yeah. you gotta win. Yeah. Oh, have you have you been listening to Wu Tang? No. I mean, I have been. But do they say something <laughs> about morality and strategy? No, it just sounds like uh, some sort of uh, what, what's the the art of war? Uh, Sun Tzu. I yeah. have that. Um, oh. No, I just I've I've never been in a fight, but I'm afraid of what happens when I get in a fight because I think that I would just immediately punch somebody in the throat and kill them. <laughs> because I have no idea for the standards of how people should act. Uh, mm. Jeff, your complaint about this is interesting to me, mm-hmm. and, and I understand. I understand the meta part of it, where mm-hmm. it feels like this has suddenly been kind of compressed to about half half of what we should be getting from this storyline. And I don't think you're wrong. However, 
Dude, I just watched you almost say but and change it to to however. I've changed my language, motherfucker. I appreciate it. Um, that's my complaint with almost all Grant Morrison comics. Okay. Is that we go from a John Romita Jr. issue to a fight with Bane, and we don't see the connecting shit. And what... What I've come to realize is it doesn't matter if we see Batman breaking into his house to fight Bane. What matters is that he's there and he's mm-hmm. fighting him. And that's not my favorite style of storytelling. And I think that the difference here in my immediate estimation, because that just clicked for me after our conversation on Wednesday, is that Tom King is doing it between issues and between artists. And Grant Morrison does it between pages and panels. And so when when you pick up an issue and you're fresh on this comic, it's easier to feel like you missed something important and then wonder if you forgot to read number 81. And when you're reading a comic and it jumps a bunch like this and it's it's in between pages, you just have to trust the writer. That doesn't that like I I would never argue that this is okay because I would like to see what happened between eighty one and eighty two, mm-hmm. but it just just the the missing panels reminds me of my biggest problem with mostly the the Grant Morrison Batman, but a lot of his stuff is like eh, you don't really need to see this part spelled out. Unlike Bendis, who spells out every moment of of John's journey to the right. Legion. I think at times you and I both demonstrate faith in a writer and our faith in a writer um, allows us to kind of gloss over some things that maybe some people can complain about, but I'm just like, I love Grant Morrison. Like that idea to me is like, yeah, maybe, but I love Grant Morrison. I have this faith in him. <laughs> I thought he was going to say Jonathan Hickman. Um, and I have Jonathan Hickman as well, but I also have it for Tom King. Yeah. And this run has I would say that my relationship with Tom King has been defined by this run. I didn't really know who he was or care about him when it started. And I've le- learned to love him through the, the the course of this run and through reading his other material. And it's caused me to have a sense of faith in the writer. And what has gone on in these several issues has defied the sense of faith that I've created for this writer. I, I'm not 100% convinced that this moved as fast as you've felt like it did in the yeah. last few years. And I, I don't know I don't know that it has either. So I Because I think that this is kind of a theme for the whole series, if that makes sense. I, I think that he's I think he's jumped around, he's compressed things, he's skipped things that that you would expect to have seen. Um, like the War of Jokes and Riddles didn't really make much like if we could sense. have dropped that and then gotten the original eighty to eighty nine issues that this could have been. How I, many I episodes did we spend in Nightmare Land or whatever? Yeah, I agree. And and that's I think and that, that I listened to an interview with him about that. Yeah. He did that because of artist scheduling. Right? I believe that. Yeah. So yeah. like and, and there's so many factors. Exactly. I don't I don't think that at issue one of 105 or issue 30 of 105 any writer who's doing a an every other week comic for dc or marvel can say this is my map for the next bunch of issues unless they don't give a fuck about the artist batman brought back the broke his damn back and then that was uh, yeah that was a great like the last three pages there were super fun um don't don't bring a back-breaking knee to a gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> and without any spoilers, Brayden, that is the best way to summarize what happens at the end of this issue. So Batman 82 by Tom King and Mikhail Janin with Jordi Belair. Everyone should check it out. And there's some cool stuff that happens at the end that the acetate cover kind of gives away. And you yeah. probably should have read the button. So, yeah, I was, that's something I wasn't sure about. Like, I saw that I haven't kept up with this series too much, and I saw the inside of the acetate cover. I'm like, is that kind of a spoiler? Like, yeah. I think yeah. Don't don't flip open the acetate part until after you read it. We gotta go. We gotta go. I'm sorry. What do you guys give Batman? Eight, nine, eight, five. Um, What's our phone number? Listen, if you guys want to thank you, Braden, that was a great segue. If you guys want to leave us a question that we may or may not answer because we get wrapped up in our own shit, but I really want to answer all of your questions. Oh, I got a couple phone calls from for the <laughs> one. <laughs> Dude, the last, like, several... If you've been listening to all of the episodes, I've thrown you under the bus every oh, yeah. time, and I'm like, yeah. Jango is the guy who has access to the voicemails, and I don't. <clears throat> yep, but one, I sure do. One, six one nine six six three 
7334. What? 7336, dude. I just got really caught up. 1-619-663-7336 will get you to my inbox, inevitably be lost, and four weeks later we'll listen to your question. And you we should love do it. it though, because we really enjoy it and it's worth the ride, bud. Yeah. <laughs> man. Who <laughs> Oh man, you just meant Man, this podcast oh, man. Look is at that audio. impossible. <laughs> See the this podcast is an impossible length. It's either two podcasts or one giant podcast with stuff cut out. It doesn't make sense. No one knows. Info at thecomicsplace.com. <sighs> Roman hasn't said anything for 20 minutes, but his eyes actually haven't closed. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, yo. The impossible podcast. What? What? He hasn't closed his eyes, which is usually he falls asleep, but he's actually been awake this whole Have time. Have you seen how much whiskey he drank tonight? I the, love it. He treats whiskey like it's coffee. It keeps mm. him awake. Yeah, oh. whiskey is the food of the gods. It's 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 my it's my it's what powers Pokemon's. Energy. Oh Energon. Energon. It's Energon, right? Is it Energon? You or, are, so, or is that we'll see you all soon for the release of Fuck. Pokemon Sword and Shield? That's Transformers. Uh, um, What's Pokemon Sword and Shield? I'm Jeff. I've never been less certain that I can edit a podcast than I am right now. I'm Hootie, and uh, you don't have to edit it at all, buddy. <laughs> I'm Brayden, and I'm getting Pokemon Shield and picking Grookey. I'm getting swords. This is going to work well. Oh, yes. But okay. I thought you were Jeff. Right. I'm the row fish. Peace out, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the row fish. <laughs> oh, God.